Hey, welcome back to Gospel Light 360. My name is Brother Jeff. Thanks again for taking the time to spend this time in the gospel with us. Gospel Light 360 is where the gospel is the center of every discussion we have. Gospel Light 360 is about a living and transforming life of following Jesus Christ. It's about discovering who Jesus is in every moment and circumstance of our life. Again, thanks again for joining us today. Uh, we started a couple weeks ago with a series of uh, podcasts uh, dealing with uh, Revelation 3 uh, as God speaks to the churches and those seven letters that are written in Revelation. And we see that where God tells us that we are in the last church age, and that's the church of Laodicea. And what Jesus says about them is that they are lukewarm. Now, many of us will brussel up against that and we'll try to avoid the fact that that we're not part of that. But if God is saying in general, in the last days, the church is going to be just like this, they're going to be lukewarm, they're going to be casual Christians, then at least we should examine ourselves, allow God, allow the gospel to be that, that determining factor of what he says to us to really just allow ourselves to either repent or just to move forward with, with fervency and with, with uh, diligency in the world we live in. And so that's what we're trying to do. And, we, and we've gone to Matthew chapter 5, uh, talking about the Beatitudes. And I think the Beatitudes are used not only to maybe examine ourselves with, to see whether or not we're being those people that are lukewarm, or but it's also, I think, used in the process as we move forward to constantly challenge our hearts to, to know and understand how we should be as God's people, God's chosen people, to follow after Jesus in these last days. It helps us kind of keep a foundation there. And so that's what we're trying to do. So again, we're going to pick up here. We started out last week uh, after going through Revelation 3 and talking about the church of Laodicea. We talked last week in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, when God tells us that blessed are the poor in spirit. And we talked about the importance of humility. And I think Jesus brings this out as the very beginning of our discussion because if there's no humility, then the rest of the things we talk about really are not going to come about. They're never really going to happen because we'll find some way in our flesh to justify it or try to, to redefine it somehow. And so the first step, the very foundational block we put was to be humble, to walk in humility, walk in the submission and under the authority of God and his sovereignty. That's what God's called us to. Once we step out from that, then really everything else we talk about will crumble. This week, I think we need to understand that what God talks about after we humble ourselves is just really take a very detailed look at our own lives. Uh, and he says in Matthew 5, 4, he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I think what God is calling us out to in these last days, really to, to prepare ourselves for what's coming up, is after we humble ourselves, he wants to really deal with the sin in our own lives. Now, again, I think we need to look at these verses according to who we are individually, but I think we also need to look at us, look at ourselves corporately as a church, as the body of Christ, and and understand that God says that if we're going to walk in humility, there's this constant issue of sin in our lives that we need to really be on top of and really to to acknowledge and to examine and and bring it to God in confession and repentance. So I'm going to share some scripture with you today, and like always, I will always encourage you to write these scriptures down because I'm sharing with you uh, the things that God has really convicted me and burdened my heart with. Uh, in this podcast, but but you are in a place where God wants to speak to you individually. And I, I would encourage you in the time to come, just open up his word in your own time meditation and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work he needs to do in your life, as well as the church that you attend and, and are serving in. In Romans chapter 7, verse 18 through 25, 
Uh, Paul says this, he says, for I know that nothing good dwells within me. That is, he says, in my flesh. He says, for the wishing, the desire is present in me, but the doing of good is not. In other words, he's saying, as a born again believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I have the Holy Spirit living within me, and I have now the desire to do what God wants me to do, but he still has the flesh he deals with, as well as you and I do. He says, for the good that I wish to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. And again, I think it's important for us to really to define what he means by evil. Uh, we don't just talking about those who are out there pillaging and, and, and robbing and, and causing great harm in the world. When we talk about evil, he talks about evil, unbelieving heart. And I think that there's any essence of unbelief in our life. That's evil in God's eyes. Uh, we can justify it somehow by, by comparing ourselves to other people. But God says evil is nothing more than our lives living in unbelief living out of our flesh, living out of our own desires and purpose, and not acknowledging God, allowing God to speak to us. And so he says here, uh, and goes on and says, uh, for the good that I wish to do, I do not practice the very, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells within me. Now he's not making excuses here. Paul's not trying to pass the buck about who, you know, who's responsible what he's acknowledging is that we have become a new creation in Christ. God has given us a new heart. He's given us a new spirit within us. He's given us the, the, the ability and calls us to walk by the spirit so we don't carry out the desires of the flesh. But we still have the flesh. And so he's acknowledging the fact that he is a new creation. But he's dealing with the flesh that he has to deal with every single day until Jesus comes. And so it's important for us to make the distinguish, uh, distinguishing factor involved is that we are a new creation. And we don't have to be in submission and being enslaved to our sins anymore because we have the Holy Spirit living within us. And so he makes that distinction there. He says in verse 21, I find then the principle that evil is present within me. Again, we need to acknowledge the fact that we do have evil, that we're capable. Uh, and, and to the degree that we allow our selfishness to take over in our lives is to the degree that we find ourselves going into the deepest, darkest places. And so he says, I, ha I see the principle that evil is present within me, the one who wishes to do good also. For I joyfully concur or agree with the law of God in the inner man. He says in verse 23, though, but I see there's a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind. And again, when, when you came to know Christ, Christ gave you his spirit. You gave a new spirit. He gave you a new heart. But we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So what he's saying here is that sin attacks the mind. Sin, because it wants to drag you back to what you used to do or what you really like to do and your own desires, your own pleasures, your own comfort, that there's a war going on, waging against our mind. That's why he tells us to take every thought captive to the beings of Christ. Because it's in our minds, that it's not a mind or matter type thing, but, but in our minds, because we've been programmed through our flesh, that we have to realize to allow the truth of God, God's promise, his presence, his Holy Spirit to, to dictate to us how we think about things, perceive things in the world. He says, but I see this different law of my members waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is my members. He says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? And again, this is not, you know, wretched man, uh, I'm going to try harder to get out of this. He says, wretched man, who will set me free? We cannot set ourselves free from this. It is through the presence and power and the truth of God's word that abides within us that sets us free. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. That does that. Again, we're continuing to talk about sin and how God uh, tells us to really to pay attention and to be very uh, 
self-aware of the struggle that's going on. In James 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 13 through 15, he says this, Let no one say that he's being tempted. I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Verse 14, he says, But each one of us, each and every one of us, is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Again, see that the words he uses there were carried away and enticed. That means that this whole process of sin is something that gradually draws us away. We, we begin to contemplate it with our own minds of how, how it affects us and what, what we like and what we don't like and what pleases us and what comforts us. And we, we're enticed. We're carried away by the things our flesh wants. And, and we're enticed by the pleasures of this world. He says, and it's all about our own lust, our own desires. He says, we're carried away by those things. He says, but then when lust or our desires have conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And again, death is not so much just that non-existent thing. It's death that means separation from. And again, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, if you're truly born again and have a relationship with Christ and have the Holy Spirit live within you, that can never be taken away from you. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Salvation is yours. But the fact of the matter is we can fall out of and distance ourselves from communion or fellowship with God and in the process distance ourselves and, and separate ourselves from even, even fellowship with other people. And so what God's saying is that when we allow the sin, the lust of our own lives and to, to, to take over our minds and, and draw us away, entice us and to draw us away, we can distance ourselves from the fellowship of God, the communion of God. Romans chapter 6 verse 12 through 14 says this, Therefore do not let sin reign or rule in your mortal body. Now, God's not asking us to do something that we're incapable of doing. Now, we are incapable of doing it through our own flesh. The flesh is not going to fight against the flesh. The flesh will always give in to your flesh. We must walk by the Spirit. We must be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in our lives, be filled with the Word of God, abiding in the Word of God, that we can walk and not allow sin to reign. When it rains, it's only because we are out of fellowship with God. We're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We're not in God's word. We're not in prayer. We're not in fellowship with one another, uh, you know, challenging one another and walking with each other. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its what? Its desires. And do not go on, continue presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Now, when he talks about members here, he's talking about our feelings, our emotions, our physical thing, all these things that our body can consist of, our mind, will, and emotions. He says, don't go on. Don't continue to present, offer up to your body, your sin, uh, these members as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. There again, there's that, that reference to the fact that we've been born again. Uh, we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives or you who lives, but it's Christ who lives within us. He says, we offer ourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members, your mind, will, and emotions as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law. In other words, you're not under the, the, the premise of having to keep the law yourself in order for God to love you and you have salvation, but we are under grace. And I think one of the ways we sometimes allow sin to, to reign and why we allow ourselves to get to that place of, of uh, lukewarmness and complacency is we take God's grace for granted. And we begin to not really face our sin and look at our sin as God has called us to do. Listen to Romans 5, 
uh, verse 20 through chapter 6, verse 2. It says, And the law came in that the transgression might increase. In other words, we didn't know what sin was until the law was given to us, and we knew it says, Do not steal, do not covet. And when we found out those things, we found ourselves in sin. He says, So the law came in that transgression might increase. But where sin increased, God's grace abounded all the more. And again, I think this is, again, where we as Christians, as we go through time and we go through the process of, of making mistakes, we begin to understand that verse there, but then we take God's grace for granted. And we don't really deal with the sin as we should. We confess it as, as a blanket confession instead of dealing with the sin that we've committed and the heart behind it and, and acknowledging that to God and to ourselves so that God could bring it about the healing and the restoration of that. He says that as sin reigned or ruled in death, even so grace might reign through what? Righteousness. Not our righteousness, but the righteousness that God has given to us through Jesus Christ. He says to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says in chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might, might increase or abound? He says in verse 2, May it never be. How shall we who have died to sin died to our old life, we're born again. We, as Christ was crucified on the cross and died and buried, we died with him and were buried with him. And we are resurrected as Christ was resurrected to a new life in Christ. So how can we continue to sin if we've died to sin? Should we still live in it? That's God's question to us. It's the, it's the fact of who's going to reign in our life. Is our, is our flesh going to reign or is our, is our relationship with Jesus Christ going to reign in our lives and hearts? Hebrews 3, verse 12 through 14 says this, Take care, brethren, take care, lest there should be any one of you an evil, there's that word again, unbelieving, evil, unbelieving heart, in falling away, in other words, that, that gradual falling away, drifting away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, lest any one of you should be hardened by what? The deceitfulness of of sin. And there's where lukewarmness comes in. There's where complacency comes in. There's where casual Christianity is born, is when we are hardened by the deceitfulness of our sin that we do not deal with correctly and appropriately in our lives. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Again, sin is extremely deceitful. And a lot of times we find ourselves justifying it as if, you well, know, I know I did this, but it wasn't all that bad. I'm doing better. And we find ourselves in, in our flesh justifying something that God says, if you don't deal with it correctly, the deceitfulness of that sin will harden your hearts to where you find yourself accomplishing and doing sin that you never thought you would ever do. Hebrews 12, verse 1 through 3 says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also do what? Lay aside every encumbrance. What is it in your life that's encumbering you, holding you back from really living out your, your life in a faithful manner and following Jesus to the fullest extent? What's encumbering you? What's holding you back? And then he says also that we are to lay aside the sin which so easily entangles us and then let us run with endurance the rate that's set before us. This life of faith is one of endurance. It's living in a world we live in today, following after Christ, and it's not a sprint, it's a long distance run until Jesus comes or he takes us home. He wants us to have endurance. We have need of endurance. 
but we can't endure if we have things encumbering us. We can't endure if we allow those those sins that easily entangle us, trip us up and have us stumble and fall. He says he wants us to to run the race with endurance to set before us. And how we do that, verse 2 tells us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How did Jesus himself endure? He says we are to endure in this race, run with endurance. And it says, then it gives us an example that Jesus endured the cross. How? Because of the joy that was set before him. Jesus was looking beyond the cross to the outcome of the cross and the lives of people that he would bring to salvation and bring into the kingdom of God and into his glory. We are to look at the end of the race we are not to be caught up and allow ourselves and our flesh to try to, to sidetrack ourselves from, from, from being enduring in this process and try to find comfort in, in casual and in, in convenience in our life. God has called us to the, to the persistent, diligent race of enduring in this world through faith and trust and, and in the joy that's set before us. He says, For consider him, consider Christ, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. And that's where we begin to compromise, is when we become weary and we lose heart. And, and we find, find ourselves making choices to, to gravitate toward those things that are convenient and more comfortable to us. But in the process, what we do is we allow sin to begin to harden our hearts because we allow it to remain in our lives in places that it should not be. And we allow it to, to begin to accept it or justify it in some way and not deal with it correctly. Next, I want to read to you out here, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 through 11. And here Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. And he is telling them about a letter he had written to them previously that he knew had caused great conflict and sorrow to them. He was challenging them, admonishing them for things they were allowing to go on and things they were doing and things they were allowing into the church. And he says, I know I caused sorrow to you. Listen to what he says here about sin and the sorrow one sorrow that, that, that's of the world and one sorrow that God's, that's according to God's will that brings about this restoration healing in our lives. Paul says, For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter has caused you sorrow, though only for a little while. I now rejoice, he says, not that you were made sorrowful, but you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. And again, I think sometimes we have casually redefined that word repentance. Oh, I repented. Well, we're going to see here in a minute what the evidence of that is. And many times what we do is we just casually, blanketly confess our sins and say we've repented when there's been no change in our life. Repentance comes from the fact that we have confessed. Confess means to say the same thing that God says about our sin. To agree with God and not just not use a, a casual approach, well, I've sinned, I'm sorry, but to deal with the individual sin and the heart behind it so that God through the Holy Spirit can bring about a brokenness in our life to where we can truly repent and turn away from it. That's what repentance means, a change of mind that brings about a change of action. And Paul is saying here, I'm glad I made you sorrowful because this sorrow uh, was brought you to repentance for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. You see, the whole sanctification process is God bringing us to a place of brokenness and realizing and showing our sin, showing our flesh, that we can confess and repent of it, that God may bring restoration and, and transformation into our lives. He says, 
you were made sorrowful according to the will of God in order that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. He says, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God, it produces repentance without any regret, leading to salvation. But then he says, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Now, what's he saying here? Eventually, it will bring forth death, physical death. But also, the sorrow of the world also brings all kinds of, you know, I could be remorseful. I can be regretful for something I've done. That is not repentance. I mean, I can mourn and be sorry for what I've done and feel remorse for it. I can regret some decisions I've made or things I've said, but that's not repentance. And if we allow that kind of sorrow in our lives, if we only allow ourselves to be remorseful or be regretful, that leads to shame. It leads to guilt. It brings some people to depression and self-pity and hopelessness. That's why the Bible says that the, the sorrow of the world brings forth death. It separates us from the, the uh, intimacy and the celebration of walking with God on a daily basis. And it brings forth all the things that God isn't in our lives. Freedom, joy, peace, contentment, all those things. So the question is, what kind of sorrow are you struggling with today? If you're not finding freedom, if you're not finding contentment and, and joy and celebration with what God's given you as far as bringing you to the, the sorrow that brings forth repentance, then you've not truly repented. He talks about here in verse 11 now what true repentance will bring about. There's a fruitfulness of that repentance. He says, for behold, behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation or hate of the sin that you committed, what fear or what reverence for God, what longing, longing to draw close to God, what zeal, in other words, to, to, to show love and expression not only to God but other people. What avenging of wrong or making things right when we know we've done some things wrong. He says in everything you demonstrated, not just talked about it, but you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. In other words, we're not trying to prove that we, we were wrong. We're trying to make up for what we did. We're trying, out of love and concern. It's kind of like Zacchaeus when he came to know Christ, knew and knowing he had, he had you know, stolen and, and he went back and made things right. He was broken not only of his sin, but realized he had to make things right. And sometimes there's sometimes we can't make things right because people are no longer around. But we should have the heart and desire to do that if God opens a door for us to do that. So that's what repentance does. When we truly deal with our sin on an ongoing basis, and we allow the Holy Spirit to convict us and bring sorrow and brokenness to our hearts of our, how we've sinned against God. And that's what David said. David says, you know, again, David said, committed some crimes against uh, committing adultery and then killing the husband and trying to cover it up. And he said, Lord, I've sinned against you and you only. He understood the basis, the foundation of his sin was not just two people, but it was against God because people were created in the image of God. And until we start understanding and realizing and accepting and dealing with that kind of sin, there'll never be repentance and we'll remain in that place of lukewarmness because we're distance ourselves. We're not hot. We're not cold. We're just lukewarm. We're, we're casual Christians. Now let me close here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 6-10, through 10, talking about fellowship and again how God views our sin and how that sin can separate us from the fellowship with one another and with God especially. He says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him, speaking with God, and yet walk in darkness or allow sin to remain in our lives, we lie and we, are, we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, in the truth, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another because we have fellowship with him. If we're abiding in the truth, 
that truth will set us free, and we can now have fellowship with one another, true fellowship. He says, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Again, when you were saved and you received Christ into your life, the Bible says that the blood of Jesus on the cross paid for all your sins. But what he's saying here about this blood shed and sprinkled upon us is as we continually, day after day, come to him with faithfulness and with a desire to confess our sins, repent of those sins, God cleanses us from all those things and sets us free from those things. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. Folks, there's a lot more things I could have shared in scripture that speak about this whole issue of sin and our sometimes complacent approach toward it. Uh, and, and I think it's important that as God speaks according to these words to us and realizing again, whereas we're talking about the fact that God says we're living in the last church age and we live in a church age of lukewarmness. Now we can try to distance ourselves from that def defining uh, words, but the truth of the matter is if, if God says that's what the church is, is in the last days, we should at least spend time and desiring to come before God with openness and, and vulnerability to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to show us our own hearts. Sometimes we can justify something so long that we don't even see it in the midst of our lives. It's important. We as individuals and we as the church in this last church age, we need to come and repent and get our hearts and lives back into a place where God can glorify himself in the world we live in. And that's the gospel.